Blog Talk Radio. Hello everybody, my name is Boss Rutten. Hi, this is Diego Lima. This is Rodrigo Comprido and you listen. And you guys are listening. So you are listening to the Verbal Submission. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Verbal Submission. This is our 209th episode. It is Sunday, September 20th, 2015. I'm your host, Brian Hemminger, Managing Editor at MMAOddsBreaker.com, and I'm flying solo tonight. Uh, No co-hosts, Jerry and Rich, both had uh, some stuff going on, couldn't quite make it, but we still have an awesome show in store for you guys. We're going to be joined momentarily by upcoming Prestige FC main eventer Mike Biggie Rhodes. He'll be looking to uh, get everything back on track. He's going to be competing in the very first Prestige FC event, which is uh, being helped to be run by Scott Zur, former guy from uh, MFC. So a lot of cool stuff going on in Canada right now. And Mike will be helping us uh, talk about his upcoming main event. And very excited to talk to Mike. He is uh, a member of Team Rufus Sport Gym, trained with a lot of really great fighters, and in uh, doing my research for this interview, he is a very cool cat. A lot of very interesting things I want to talk about him with him today. So with that out of the way, let's just go ahead and get Mike on the show right now. There's not much else going on. I mean, we did have a couple MMA events going on this past weekend, and I'll do a quick rundown of those after we're done talking to Mike. Uh, but we'll uh, get right to it. So let me just pull up Mike's contact info, and we're just going to call him live on air since I don't have a co-host today to throw it back to. So let's see how this goes. Sometimes it's a crapshoot, so you never quite know. All right, we are dialing Mike live on the air right now. Is this Mike? Yeah, it is. What's up? Hey, Mike. This is Brian Hemminger from The Verbal Submission. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's an absolute honor. Uh, A lot of really cool stuff I want to talk to you about. Um, I was doing my research for the show, and I was just like, man, there's so many things I could talk about with Mike. Like, You are seriously a diversified cat, i got to (laughs) say. Thank you, man. I try to dabble in everything. It keeps you keeps you well rounded for for everything in life. <laughs> oh, it definitely does. Well, let's start with you know the thing that I think a lot of people want to talk uh, hear about at least at first is um, you know you had the UFC run. It wasn't you know probably even close to what you were hoping it would be, but I'll tell you what, you took uh, complete responsibility. There were zero excuses. And you just buckled down and just went right back at it. And I think a lot of people admire that, and I sure as hell admire that. You know, can you talk a little bit about that attitude? Because you know, there's a lot of people. If things don't go right, you know, in that first big shot at the big time, you know, they just start throwing people under the bus. They change gyms. Their, uh, you know, injuries and all kinds of excuses. But you didn't do any of that. 
No, sir, man. That's that's just not in my character. You know, that's not how mm-hmm. I was I was brought up or raised. My mom, you know, single parent, she raised me to be strong and to be an individual, you know, and everything I did, um, you know, it always came back to me. It, it, I was never allowed to blame anyone else for my problems or anything like that. So um, that, that's something that's instilled in me, is, you know, is that um, I take responsibility and I bear the weight, you know, for, for the things that go on in my life. So, yeah, you know, I went to the UFT, fought some tough competition. I learned, and, you know, I, I got that experience. And to me, that only makes me, you know, that much better of a person and a fighter. And if I was to sit there and blame people or or anything like that, I think that takes away from my experience and that takes away from, you know, what, what I did because you can't claim all the success if you don't want to, you know, take take and accept the blame for, you know, your failures too in life. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. And you mentioned tough competition. I mean, Robert Whitaker, he's a top 15 middleweight now in the UFC, fighting Bisbing next. And then you had that last fight against Eric Silva, a guy that's headlined to UFC events. So, you know, they, they definitely threw you right into the ringer. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think it was because um, I had some tough fights outside the UFC, and they saw that I was a game mm-hmm. and that I could fight, compete with everybody. So, um, I, I think they thought there was no reason to coddle me and, you know, try and build me up like they do some of the guys who are probably a little bit raw coming into the UFC. Um, so they gave me tough competition, and I, you know, that that's what I want. I live for competition, man. I, I don't like easy fights. I don't want easy wins. You know, I want to earn everything I get in this sport, um, you know, and I still feel in my heart that if I were to fight some of those lower-level 170s in the UFC – I, I destroy them, you know. I, I don't lose to people who aren't good, and um, you know. And I and the people that I have lost, you know, they they've had to fight. You know, they had to fight me, and it, it's never an easy task, you know, to beat me. Oh, definitely not. Now, um, in uh, doing the research, I've I've heard that you've had a lot of trouble finding opponents. So I want to first talk about that. You know, just the difficulty being that UFC vent of UFC veteran being a, a guy that trains out of as prestigious a gym as you train out of, you know, how difficult has it been uh, picking up opponents and how nice is it uh, to be able to be competing at a nice promotion like this where, you know, they got contracts and signings and they're, you know, guaranteeing you uh, this opportunity. You know, it was, it was rough, man. I, I took that fight right in April with a guy. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I had a couple opponent changes on that just because guys didn't want to fight. They want way too much money to fight a UFC vet when they haven't earned the right to make that money. They haven't built their name enough to be worth, you know, that kind of money. And these guys, um, you know, they're running around acting like they're big shots when they're when they're really not shit, you know what I mean, in their own local promotions and things like that. They get a couple wins and they take it to the head. So, um, you know, that caused a lot of fights not to happen. Um, I really don't want to get tied down to any of these other smaller shows for, you know, a long period of time. And a lot of these shows think they are the UFC and they want two and three fight deals when they can't keep you active or they don't necessarily have the talent of guys for you to fight. Um, You know, but we put my name out there for every fight. I've never said no in my career. And, you know, I was supposed to fight on, you know, we got some interest in the Titan card that just passed, Um, you know, didn't have an opponent, whatever, went on there. Um, CES, 
Um, they mm-hmm. they were in talks with Duke. They had a couple guys turn down fights with me. Um, you know, two guys from the same gym turned down fights with me. And so, you know, this opportunity with Prestige FC came up, and I took full advantage of it because, like I said, I don't say no. And it uh, seems like they got a pretty good fight for me lined up. Oh, they definitely do. And there was something I talked about with Austin Springer, a guy that just fought uh, this past weekend on one of those shows. And he said that there's a way that people can turn down fights without turning down fights. And you kind of mentioned it was people asking for a lot of money. Is they'll they'll say, sure, I'll fight you, but you have to pay me, you know, two or three times more than I probably should be paid. And then, of course, the promoter is going to say, no way. And they're like, okay, well, then I'm not fighting. And that's their way of, you know, ducking a guy without being able to say he ducked him. Yeah, you know, it's a bunch of... Um, it's a bunch of fakes in our sport. You know, they want easy fights. They want to build their record. They want to say they got a bunch of wins. They want to act like they're an accomplished fighter, but really, you know, they're scared of a real challenge. They they don't want a real fight. You know, they just want that image. They want all the stuff they see that comes with being a fighter without actually having to get in a real fight. So it's sad some of the time, but, you know, at some point they're – you know, that hiding or that mentality is going to get exposed and their whole career, they've wasted a lot of time and effort in building this fake facade, which is going to be knocked down, you know, eventually. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you train at a great gym at a Rufus Sport, but I think a lot of the really elite of the elite guys at that gym are smaller than you. So how nice has it been getting all this extra work in with a Tyron Woodley, one of the best fighters in the entire world in your weight class? Uh, in advance for uh, in helping him train for the the Hendricks fight, and then him helping you in you know in return almost for this upcoming main event. Yeah, um, actually, I am the biggest guy in the gym. We have a guy mm-hmm. named uh, Gerald Hershart who fights at 185, but um, I normally walk around a lot bigger than him. Um, so I'm probably the biggest guy in the gym, but um, I'm probably one of the best training partners. If you ask my teammates, I, I can you know I've sparred recently with Chico Camus, who's getting ready to fight um, Horiguchi over in Japan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I gave him a look. You know, I can play that Horiguchi taekwondo kind of karate-esque game because I you know how good of an athlete I am. So, And I know how to control my, you know, my weight, my power, things of that nature. So, you know, I get good training rounds with everyone, and I can adapt to the size of the person. So um, not necessarily having someone my size all the time it isn't a bad thing. But, I mean, I, I've had been asking – since I got here, you know, I have Gerald. We got a couple of new guys who just moved in. I have a uh, JP um, from Virginia. He's, he's a, was a 85 er coming down to 70. So I have some good training partners in the gym. A lot of uh, smaller names that you guys might not know about just yet. You know, I got Craig Eckelberg. He's five and zero as a pro. Um, Armandale Camry, who just dropped the 55. So I got a lot of guys, but you know, having Tyron in is awesome. This is the second time he's, he's come up. Mm-hmm. Um, he came up for the Kevin Gastelum fight. I, I helped him with that as well. Um, I was his main training partner up here for that. And, uh, you know, being lefty for that fight for him and then him getting the Johnny Hendricks fight, you know, we were always in talks of him coming back up. So not only am I getting a train with someone like Tyrant, you know, who is the number three ranked guy in the world at my weight class, you know, I'm giving him a look. He's giving me a look. I'm learning things from him, and I'm able to help him and add things to his game as well. So, um, it's just a great mutual relationship that 
you know, we're both going to benefit from in our upcoming fights. Now, did you uh, practice missing weight to get Tyron Woodley ready for Kelvin Gastelum? No, but um, <laughs> he did call me. Ask, he he did call me and ask me, um, you know, how big I was at that time. I am, you know, I'm a, I'm a I'm a big welterweight. I walk around, you know, nowhere near my weight class for the most part. I enjoy life as far as food. I'm a foodie, so I love to eat. But um, yeah, he was like, "Hey, what do you weigh right now?" And I was like, "Oh, I'm probably about 215." He's like, oh, okay, well, don't lose any weight. I was like, okay, I don't have a fight coming up, so I won't. And uh, so he sparred. He's like, yeah, this is probably what he's going to come in at. I was like, yeah, you know he ain't going to make weight. And, you know, we laughed about it. But, I mean, it came true. And the extra weight that Kevin, you know, was carrying around, it wasn't a big deal to Tyron because he had trained, you know, with me the whole time leading up to the camp. And I was making sure to throw my weight around and, and try to use it and, you know, help him prepare for the fight that, you know, he was going to have. Oh, that's awesome. Now, uh, you brought up, you know, that you switched up your style a little bit in training partners, bringing out the Taekwondo to help uh, Camus against Horiguchi. I'm sure you were able to do that really well because you started up your own uh, Taekwondo school recently. So, you know, how's that been going so far? And, you know, how are you able to, to balance that with uh, training for this upcoming main event? Um, yeah, you know, I just started my own Taekwondo school. Well, I have a business partner, um, Nick Elliott, who actually owns the franchises. Um, it's not really a franchise, but it's four uh, locations. Um, it's called Family Taekwondo of Champions. And, um, you know, Taekwondo is something that I've did, you know, the majority of my life, um, off and on since I was a kid. And um, it's great now to be able to start my own school and, you know, um, make a living outside of fighting where it's more of a secure um, income that I know that I'm going to be able to generate and not so much, un, you know, uncertainty like fighting is. Um, so now I'm training every day, you know, I'm teaching kids classes, I'm teaching adults, and, you know, I feel like I'm just making a difference in, in people's lives, and I think that's the platform that I was given from fighting, and I feel like that's what I was, you know, put on this earth to do. So um, as far as training for the fight, I still, you know, I, I bust my butt, Um I've just had to make adjustments to when I train, how I train. I have to be really smart about it. Um, you know, I've put my strength and conditioning early in the mornings, so I have time to, um, you know, recuperate and, and have my give myself a little bit of rest. And then I go do some office stuff for the taekwondo school, marketing. Um, then I go to pro practice, um, you know, which is like an hour and a half every day. And then I go teach classes, you know. And then uh, certain nights we have pad sessions. And so – um, the key thing for me is making sure that when I have downtime that I'm taking advantage of and I'm resting, I'm getting massages and, you know, I'm just doing things the right way. Um, but it, it has not affected training at all. You know, I'm actually training while I'm teaching. I'm, I'm, I'm doing other skill sets and things of that nature. So I think it's just benefiting me. You know, it's keeping me busy, keeping me occupied, and uh, it's just helping me grow as a person. Oh, awesome. Now, uh, after your UFC run, you did get that uh, fight this past April at NAFC, and you were able to pick up that you know very impressive first round knockout. And I was wondering, you know, what did that do to you uh, on the mental side of things in terms of getting that confidence back, maybe that swagger, you, just like yeah, you know, I can I can go out there and take care of business against these these guys. Uh, you know, what, what did that do for you? Um, to be honest with you, man, people might have thought my confidence was low from losing to these guys, but my confidence actually rose. You know, I I, I never doubt myself. I'm not a person who has self-doubt. I'm not a person who, 
who questions his abilities. You know, I feel like everything I have is, is, is God-given, and then, you know, I just add my work ethic to that talent that was, you know, already gifted to me. And so um, I never question myself. I'm very strong-minded. Um, my mentality is I'm always the best. I'm always a winner. So, you know, you lose, you have to put those things behind you. And literally the night after I would lose a fight, you know, I cry, I get it over with, and then I move on and I, and I don't dwell on that. So um, confidence was never an issue, but it was nice to get a win. You know, it was nice to go out there and fight in front of my friends and family again instead of being in a foreign country and, you know, having everybody chant, you will die and stuff like that. That was always a plus um, coming home to fight in April. But um, I haven't lost to a guy outside the UFC. I mean, besides Brandon Thatch, who, you know, he probably should have been in the UFC at that point. Um, so these guys outside the UFC, um, I, I don't think they should beat me. I don't think they can beat me, and I don't think they will beat me. So, um, you know, it, it, it will ultimately end up with me back in the big show. Oh, excellent. That's a great mentality to have. Now, um, I was listening to one of your other recent interviews, uh, in, you know, doing my prep work, and they asked you about Ryan Machan, your upcoming opponent for this main event, the you know 32-year-old Canadian vet who's on a big win streak. And you broke him down so specifically, like it was so obvious how seriously you're taking this guy and how much homework you've already put in, uh, you know, in preparation for this guy. And I was just wondering, you know, like is that something you always do, or is this something just you know you really know how important this fight is? No, I'm a fan of the sport. Um, mm -hmm. If you ask anyone around me um, who knows me, big name fighters that I'm friends with, to the smart, you know, the guy at the bar who doesn't know too much, um, I watch all fighting. I watch every show. Um, I'm not above watching local shows that you know have a stream or anything like that. And I'm always breaking down fighters, fight styles, because you can always learn something from you know even the amateur in the sport. You can learn a little detail, whether it's good or bad. Or, or, or something like that. So um, that's always been my, my mindset and my approach to fighting is that I can break a fighter down and I can emulate a lot of fighters. And that's why, you know, a lot of big name people, you know, come and train with me is because I can find the intricacies, you know, the the small little details in, in a fighter's style and I can break them apart. And, you know, I only watched a couple videos on, on Ryan and you know, I could tell just from the couple videos, you know, the holes in his games, the things that he's he's good at and the things that I can exploit, you know. And, um, you know, I don't really focus on that too much. I watch him once or twice, and then um, I let my coaches kind of dictate the game plan um, as far as, like, some things that I should do, things I should stay away from. Other than that, you know, my mentality and fight style is pretty open um, because of how, you know, well-rounded I am in the sport. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that you feel your size is going to be a really big advantage in this fight because, you know, Machan is a, a bit undersized in the lightweight or in the welterweight division. And is that something that you work on a lot in using your size because you are one of the, the bigger welterweights? Or is that something that you feel you, know, you still need to, you know, to put a little more time in? Um, I think I use my size in a different way. I don't try mm -hmm. and um, I don't try and, you know, be the bigger guy in the cage as far as like, hugging a guy, holding him down, pressing him up against the cage, um, any of that, you know, sort of thing. Um, I use my size in a different way. Um, you know, not only am I going to have probably, you know, a size advantage as far as weight, but height, you know, reach, 
Um, I also feel like with my frame, you know, he's undersized, but he's um, slow, if you ask me. He's not very athletic mm-hmm. if you look at how, how he moves, um, you know, which is a problem because if you ask my teammates here at Rufus Sport, I might be the biggest, but I'm still the fastest one on the team, you know, from the 125ers all the way up. Uh, I've beat, a, you know, we've raced and had competitions, and, you know, I'm I'm the fastest on the team. I haven't been beaten yet. So with my size, I still have that athletic ability, and I feel like, you know, with the size and weight, you know, you put the speed behind that, that's where you generate natural power, you know, and I feel like that's going to be, um, you know, a downfall for him is he doesn't have that power to, to keep me away from him. You know, if I hit him, he'll realize that, you know, he might have to back up and, He's going to have to fight a different way. And, you know, a lot of his wins are by submission. Uh, you know, I'm going to be very hard to take down. Um, you know, my, I think my takedown defense in the UFC is like 88% or something like that. Um, I don't get taken down often. And, you know, once I do, is he going to be able to hold me down? He's going to have to work twice as hard to, you know, enforce his game plan on me because of my size. So, um, you know, when I'm on top, I am heavy, you know, and I think that's going to make for heavy shots. You know, if I do end up on top, you know, in, in the fight and it scrambles, um, it's just going to drain from him to have to deal with, you know, the weight and stuff that I'm used to carrying around and he's not used to fighting guys like me. Mm-hmm. Now, do you see any comparisons between this guy and uh, the fighter you actually made your UFC debut against, George Sullivan? Because, you know, I see, uh, you know, a, a stockier, a welterweight, slow, not that athletic, although Sullivan was a little bit better of a striker and put on a little bit more pressure. But but do you kind of see any comparisons there? Um, Actually, Sullivan, to be as stocky as he was, he was taller than me, or at least mm-hmm. like the same height. He just had a weird build. His upper body was really big, and then mm-hmm. he had like really big legs as well. So um, he cut he, – he's probably bigger than me walking around with Sullivan. Mm-hmm. He cut a whole hell of a lot of weight, he said, during – uh, fight week and stuff like that. So um, Sullivan is decently athletic. Um, he's really strong was the thing. You know, he was strong as hell. Um, a lot of power in his hands. So, yeah, I think he was a way better striker than Ryan. I think their builds are similar, but Ryan's still a little bit shorter. And he's, he's soft. If you look at him, he, he's a little fluffy. Um, I feel mm-hmm. like he could probably make 55 if he was really serious. Um, you know, training and eating diet regimen, stuff like that. Um, other than that, I don't see too much of a, a resemblance in them. Ryan tries to stay light on his feet, but he's not really agile. Um, and Sullivan knows that. So he's a plotter. He kind of walks you down because he knows he has that one-punch knockout power, which I don't think Ryan possesses. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm going to switch gears up here and uh, do a couple off-topic things. But, you know, speaking of diet and uh, you know, focusing on the the nutritional side of things, you underwent a bit of a transformation yourself from when you were first starting training in MMA to, to where you are now. So I was wondering, you know, when did things really start to, to kick into gear for you? Um, I was I was playing uh, collegiate basketball at a junior college. Um, I got injured in high school, put on some weight, got injured again in college, put on some more weight. Um, you know, and I was up to about 273 at one point, and um, I was trying to walk on at another college and continue to play basketball. And the coach told me, you know, you got to get in shape. I started at a uh, a fitness class at a gym, and uh, the owner 
of the fitness class, also the owner of the gym and the taekwondo program and the MMA program. So after training in the kickboxing classes for a while, he asked me to join the real team, you know, the fight team and train like that. You know, I lost 24 pounds within like a couple, you know, in like two months or something like that. And from that point on, man, you know, it just showed me the healthier lifestyle I could live and the foods I could eat and still be able to um, lose weight and things of that nature. And so I just did that and took advantage of it. And, you know, I never set out to be a Walter Wade. I never set out for this to be my, you know, my goal weight or anything like that. I just kept training, kept working out, kept eating right. And, you know, the body just kept, trans, you know, transforming. And, you know, I feel like this is um, – you know, a good version of me, but it's not the best version of me. You know, I feel like I can still take my, my diet and nutrition outside of fight camps and stuff like that a little more serious. And, you know, I, I could even be a, a little more healthier. Oh, awesome. And uh, another thing I wanted to, to check in about was uh, I've seen you're an avid golfer. I want to know, how did you get involved in the golf game? <laughs> yeah, I've been golfing since I was a young kid. Um my grandfather and all my cousins and, and, and things of that nature, they were all golfers, and it was a youth program um, that was offered back home in, in Waterloo, Iowa, where on on Sundays and stuff they would let us go to the driving range and, you know, they would just teach us how to golf. You know, all the golf pros or people who played, um, they would take time out of their day and um, teach us how to golf. They would give us used clubs and let us go play, and, you know, I just grew up like that, and I have friends who played golf in high school, and uh, we would just play every Sunday and and um, stuff like that. And then when I moved here to Wisconsin, I didn't play for, you know, almost four years just because I didn't have clubs, I didn't have time, and um, I didn't really know too many people outside of fighting. But um, recently I had some friends who um, started going back golfing, and so I started going to the range and getting my swing back. And, you know, I've been playing a couple rounds and a couple holes. And me and my teammate Craig Eckelberg, we went out and played 18 um, a couple weeks ago and, um, you know, just finding my game and developing again, just having fun, you know, it's something that you can do to pass time and, uh, something you can do to take your mind off fighting and get away from the gym for a while. Oh, that's, that's just great. You know, I got a lot of friends that golf and I'm not very good at all. I'm, I'm good at putt-putt. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, uh, going through your Twitter feed, I saw something that stood out to me because, you know, I'm an Ohio guy. And there was a guy that was trying out for the Cleveland Browns this year named Josh Lentz and just a total badass. Like he was the hardest working dude in all the training camp. Like he was the guy that stood out as a guy that could definitely make the team as, you know, a, a non-roster invitee type of guy. And he was one of the last ones cut. And uh, you uh, actually retweeted his message. I know he's a, uh, you're from Iowa. He's a former Ohio, Iowa state cyclone. He's a, uh, for he he's from Iowa. I was wondering, is that the connection, or did you actually know him? You know, what's what's the deal with the uh, knowing about uh, Josh Lentz? No, me and Josh are really good friends, man. Uh, oh yeah, we both we all we both grew up in the AAU basketball circuit. Um, I think he was a year younger than me, um, but we both played on a Nike sponsored AAU basketball team that traveled the country. Um, it was called Martin Brothers. And so we played on different um, age groups, but we all traveled together. And so I got to know him through there. And then, uh, you know, obviously I'm from Iowa. He's from Iowa. Um, he's from Dubuque. I'm from Waterloo, which, you know, they're only about an hour and 30 minutes away from each other. So we played them in high school sports. And so we were always, you know, teammates during AAU and then, you know, rivals and, and enemies when we played for our high school team. 
Um, I'm an Iowa State Cyclone fan. Um, I wish I could have went there and played basketball. I just didn't have that opportunity. Um, he was able to go there and play football, and he was, you know, he did awesome. I was always a fan of his there. And then when he went and played for the Colts, you know, I, I secretly cheered for the Colts unless they were playing against my Cincinnati Bengals. And, um, you know, even though he was going to go to the Cleveland Browns instead of my Bengals, um, I would have been happy for him. You know, he's a he's a friend, and, um, you know, I think Cleveland is definitely going to, you know, they're missing out on a, on a talent and a very hardworking guy. I feel like um, he could be, you know, a Wes Walker type of player and have that effect for, you know, any team in the league. And I hope that Josh, you know, gets picked up because, like you said, he's a hard worker and, you know, he has that Midwest um, working mentality about him. And so he won't give up. Um, he'll have another opportunity. And uh, so he'll, he'll, he'll be on the team this year for sure. Oh, I definitely agree. I think a lot of people related to him because Cleveland's definitely a blue-collar town, and they just admired how hard this dude worked. Just, I just wish he was like two or three inches taller. I guarantee that would have probably uh, made the difference. Like, there's people that just all they care about is the the physical attributes and stuff. But I think that was one of the main reasons was they already had like one or two guys that were a little smaller on end receivers, and they didn't want to throw in another one. But I think it's their loss. All right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, <laughs> well, that's about everything I had for you, Mike. Uh, last couple things. Um, I'm, I know a lot of fighters are into the visualization techniques and you know, picturing uh, all kinds of things in advance of their fight. And I was wondering, when you're kind of visualizing success uh, against Ryan McCann and uh, the Prestige FC uh, 1 main event, you know, what, what do you picture in your head? I picture a first-round knockout, to be honest with you. I just feel like I feel like when I hit him early, he's going to realize that, you know, he, he he got himself into something that he thought he was ready for, and it just wasn't it just wasn't the right decision. And I feel like once I hit him, he's going to get real hesitant, and you know, I, I'm just going to bully him. You know, to be honest, I'm going to walk him down. I'm going to hit him with shots. Um, I don't fear his takedowns. I don't fear his striking. Um, and, I, and I see myself landing a shot that he's just not going to be able to recover from, and I'm going to put him away early. Um, that, that, that's how I envision myself winning. I see it every day. I, you know, I wake up and I, and I think it and I work to make sure that that's, um, you know, that I'm going to make that a reality. Oh, awesome. And uh, there's a question we always ask people when they're on the show for the first time. It's, you know, it's not about superstition or anything, but are there any kind of pre-fight rituals you like to do? You know, is there something, you know, a, a special cheat meal you like to have after the weigh-ins? Is there a way you like to get your hand wrapped? Maybe a way you like to warm up backstage? Is there something that you always like to do uh, before a fight? No. Um, I kind of see, like, rituals and things of that, like, you know, a manifestation of fear in a different way. Like, what if something goes wrong? What if you don't have your lucky socks? Are you not that mm-hmm. kind of a fighter anymore? What if you don't have this food? If they don't have it in this country, are you are you not going to be able to fight? So I don't really think of those things. I, I don't believe I have any. Um, the only thing that probably stays the same is I just always listen to music. You know, music is it's universal. You can have it everywhere, and, you know, you can listen to any kind of music. I just like to have music. I just chill out, and as long as I have one of my teammates or coaches with me, you know, I feel like I'm relaxed, and that's the only thing I need. No, No pre-fight rituals for me. All right, that's that's totally cool. And uh, last thing before I let you go, Mike, uh, did you have any shout-outs, trainers, sponsors, anything you want? The floor is yours, man. 
Thank you, man. Well, of course, I like to, you know, shout out my team, uh, Rufus Sport, and all of my teammates and coaches. Um, huge shout out to Dustin Ortiz, who is going to be making the trip up to Canada, uh, up to Saskatchewan with me. Um, I would like to thank some of my sponsors. You know, I got Grit Mouth Guards, RP's Pasta, um, Iowa Bison, On It, Combat Corner, Central Media Designs, and one of my first ever sponsors, uh, Twisted Fate Tattoos from back in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Um, I have the WAC here as well. Um, you know, and all the people who support me, my friends, family, um, you know, I, I love you guys and I appreciate the support through this uh, journey that we're on. And, uh, you know, my mom, my mom is the biggest supporter. You know, she's the reason why I'm the man that I am today. And, uh, you know, thank you guys for the interview. And uh, I just can't wait to fight and put on a show. And I hope everyone that attends or watches on GoFightLive.com, you know, you're going to want to tune in. You're going to be, you're going to thoroughly enjoy um, what you see. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for stopping by the show, Mike. It was a real treat to get to talk to you for the first time. And uh, best of luck at that upcoming uh, Prestige FC event, October 24th. No problem, man. And I just got a message to all these so-called fighters, man. Run my fade, which means, uh, you know, step up to the plate and fight. Don't don't <laughs> be these little sissies hiding behind promoters and, and your gyms and coaches. Because after I whoop Ryan Michon, I'm coming for anybody who thinks they're a UFC prospect. I want to fight you. Awesome. Well, uh, best of luck to you, and uh, thank you so much for stopping by the show, and you have a terrific rest of your night, Mike. No problem. Thank you, man. Have a great night. All right. You too. Bye. Bye. All right. That was Mike Biggie Rhodes stopping by the verbal submission, uh, laying the smackdown on anybody that is backing out of fights against him and then extremely confident in his upcoming Prestige FC1 main event. So really excited to to see how he performs in that uh, big test coming up. And I'm sure a lot of good things in store for him. Still very young after, uh, you know, that first UFC experience, still just 25 years old. I think he can definitely uh, really turn it around. So really excited to see what he uh, ends up doing. Now, last couple things before we head out today. Um, we had Bellator last night. Tito Ortiz lost to Liam McGeary in the main event. Uh, Tito actually looked really good early in the fight. Got a takedown, was landing some good punches, and then McGeary caught him an inverted triangle, and Tito immediately tapped. I think he even tapped a little bit from, like, an arm bar, like, a couple seconds before that even. So, you know, just Tito looked good, but, you know, he's still stiff. He's 40 years old. You know, he can talk about how he's – not injured for the first time in however many years, but he kind of always says that before fights. So I thought he looked okay. I don't know what Bellator is going to do with him next. Maybe they'll uh, have Tito be the super fight against Fedor in uh, that upcoming uh, Japan event on New Year's. And uh, Phil Davis ended up winning the light heavyweight tournament. He dominated Emmanuel Newton with a beautiful Kimura in the first round of their fight. At King Mo on the other side, Ended up winning a decision against Linton Vassell. Almost knocked him out in the first round. Uh, and then Mo could not continue. I've, I heard a lot of conspiracy theories, people saying that he could, only couldn't continue because of how good Phil Davis looked. But at least it sets up uh, another interesting match down the line. But then stepped up was uh, Francis Carmont, who won the alternate bout. And then he fought Phil Davis. And Phil Davis knocked him the hell out. 
I did not see that one coming. I will say that right now. Phil Davis has never been a guy that has shown a lot of punching power. He's always looked pretty stiff and like almost like he was sparring in there in the cage when he's in the stand-up portion. He's just never been a very good striker, and he just threw this big leaping power right hand and just blasted Francis Carmont. Now, I know Carmont's a guy that's fought mostly at 185, but and, and he doesn't have the greatest chin, but you know, Phil Davis has never showcased any type of power whatsoever, and I was very impressed. So he looked like a world beater in that tournament. I'm very excited to see where he goes from here. So I think Phil Davis is going to be the Bellator champ in a couple months because Liam McGeary's wrestling is not good, and I don't see anybody submitting Phil Davis. Like He's such a competent grappler, and he's submission-focused as well on the ground, and he should be able to avoid whatever McGeary throws his way. But I'm excited for that fight anyway, and uh, it should be very interesting. But I'm calling it right now. Uh, I'm thinking early 2016, Phil Davis is going to be the Bellator light heavyweight champion. Uh, we also had Titan FC have a uh, event at the same time, actually. It was a run on UFC Fight Pass. Rick Hahn's the new lightweight champion. He beat uh, former champ Pat Healy, who actually got stripped of the title for missing weight by three pounds. They fought to a split decision. Uh, personally, I thought Pat Healy won the fight, but, I mean, it was crazy close. Uh, Hahn won the first two rounds. Then Healy won the third. The fourth was super close, and then I thought Pat Healy won the fifth, and it went down to the, the fourth round, and a couple of the judges gave the, the fourth to Rick Hahn, and he ends up taking the split decision, which is probably better for Titan anyway because he can actually be the champ, and Healy wasn't getting the title back even if he won that because he couldn't make weight. Um, I thought Tim Elliott looked really good in his uh, title defense at flyweight, and uh, was there another title fight? I don't think so. But uh, Steven Seiler looked really good against uh, former guest Austin Springer. So you know, a lot of a lot of really solid performances from that Titan show. I thought it was a, a very entertaining uh, bunch of battles. And then uh, last but not least, we had World Series of Fighting take place on Friday night. And Justin Gaethje had a rematch against Luis Palomino. Both guys you know, hurt each other in that first round. And then out of nowhere, Gaethje just puts Palomino's lights out in the second round. Very impressive knockout. Um, that guy's got a lot of power, but I think a lot of people are right in saying that they're concerned about his fighting style, that you know, give-no-shit fighting style where he just throws these massive punches, takes a lot of punishment in the process, and just trusts in his own chin and just wades through it. I mean, he's now 15-16-0 overall, but it's going to be really tricky when he goes in there against somebody that's going to hit him really hard in the UFC someday. And I don't know if he's going to be able to take some of that punishment that he's able to take right now. But, you know, he's still an ex incredibly exciting fighter. You, know, you do not want to miss any Justin Gaethje fights. All right, so I think that'll about do it for today. We've got a UFC event taking place in Japan on Saturday this week, a UFC Fight Night 75. Uh, Roy Nelson, Josh Barnett in the main event should be very interesting. And uh, I think that'll do it for today's show. Um, make sure to tune in the same time, same place next weekend, next Sunday, and uh, should be a, a lot of fun. I'll be announcing all of our guests via our Facebook page, so just check out the Verbal Submission on Facebook. You can check us out on Twitter as well, at Verbal Submit. You can check me out on Twitter, at Brian Hemminger. And big thank you to Mike Rhodes for stopping by the show. You can follow him on Twitter, at Team Rock Biggie, and The Rock is R-O-C. So... Um, so big thanks to, to 
Mike Rhodes for stopping by the show. And since I don't have a Richard to bounce our Kurt Angle time off of, uh, so I'm going to do it myself. So it is Kurt Angle time, baby.